0: Hi and welcome back to OA on Air via Social Distancing. I'm Kyan Isaacson. This week it's 321Go with Cosmo Macero. Then Andy Paven and I talk to Ali Donnelly, the host of the Hingham Cast and former investigative reporter for NECN and NBC 10 Boston. And last up, two minutes with Tom.
1: Hello and welcome to another edition of 321 GO on OA on Air, our weekly look into the world of public affairs, culture, business, and the economy. I'm your host, Cosmo Macero. Joining me here on 321 GO is Kyan Isaacson. Hello. The official voice of OA on Air and Ann Murphy. Glad to be here. And great to have you, our seven-letter colleague. Welcome to this edition of 321 GO. Hey, let's get right to it. And talk about one of the friendliest towns in America, according to a recent survey. That's that's Provincetown on Cape Cod, right there at the tip. And you do a lot of work with the city of Provincetown. Tell us about this, the town of Provincetown, the community, the municipality. Excuse me. Uh, number one, I I agree. By the way, I think it's a it's a wonderfully friendly community. But uh, tell me more about it. Well, I think that, you know, as soon as you like uh, park your car or ride your bike there and just get out
2: and start walking around on on Commercial Street, you kind of just get enveloped into this amazing feeling of like, boy, everybody's welcome here. There are straight people, there are uh, gay people, LGBTQ+. Whatever you are, whomever you are, you are welcome there. And, I mean, obviously, you know, if we want to go in the way back time machine, uh, when, uh, you know, the Mayflower Pilgrims first uh, stepped ashore and their first place was in Cape Cod Bay Provincetown, and Provincetown. And they had an encounter with the Wampanoags who were helping them. And uh, I think the, the history is so rich, too. But, but obviously the, the atmosphere is there. And that's what's reflected in this amazing list that they're number one.
1: This is from expedia.com, right? That's expedia put this list out.
0: It was an expedia list, not the most scientific of lists by any stretch of the imagination. But <clears throat> anybody who has ever read a review on expedia knows that the people there are brutally honest. Um, so I wasn't surprised to see it. I've, I full confession, I've only been to P Town once for like a long weekend, but. I felt like the second I stepped off the ferry, like you just feel an energy. There's like a positive energy that's mm-hmm. just kind of flowing everywhere. And it's so lovely.
1: Yeah. Interesting. Um, in covering this, Christopher Muthor of the Boston Globe, pretty interesting, kind of a fun story. Points out, and rightly so, that <clears throat> Massachusetts as a whole is not necessarily known as the most friendly and hospitable <laughs> state. In fact, a survey in 2019 I think, put Massachusetts on the other side of the spectrum, one of the more unfriendly states. But uh, Provincetown is doing uh, the Commonwealth of Massachusetts proud. A lot of other communities, some interesting ones, some that are questionable, like New York City. I'm not sure how friendly New York City is. Um, And then a bunch of others, but certainly Provincetown, again, doing Massachusetts proud on this list.
2: Well, I think that, you know, uh, you know, you can see like world-class entertainment there in these really nice smaller venues. The food is just amazing everywhere you go from the Portuguese influence and the food is awesome. It's a very pet-friendly place. Everywhere they go, there's these little dog parks and, you know, and I just think that um, it does have everything that you want in, in in this type of like getaway vacation because it's very you don't have to have a car. I mean, all you need really is to walk around and and but then you can get out of out of the busyness of Commercial Street very easily because you are surrounded by the Cape Cod National Seashore and you just go a little bit away and you are at the most beautiful places in the world for beaching, boating, and anything whale watching. But I do I do think that they 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 did a good thing, by in P Town at the top of the list.
1: Agreed. All right, Ann Murphy, thanks for joining us on 321 Go to talk about Provincetown, one of the friendliest communities in America.
2: Glad to be here, and I'll come back again
1: anytime you want.
0: Absolutely. Love it. Thanks, Ann.
1: All right, Uh Traumatic national or global events often produce. Uh, Policy changes and changes in lifestyle, and 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 the advocates that bring them about. This certainly happened after 9/11, not just with regard to air travel safety. And uh, by the way, there was a whole a whole war after 9/11. But um, with regard to just how people live every day, we're seeing that now. Uh, certainly, policy changes and and major adjustments to lifestyle uh, brought about by the COVID 19 pandemic, and A whole new category of advocate, activist, uh, and people who never really expected to be in that position uh, kind of thrust uh, into the role of, uh, of being advocates. Let's talk more about it.
0: Yeah, so there was a New York Times story this week that um, a headline read how COVID survivors are finding their way into politics. And it's a story that highlights a a handful um, of people who have lost loved ones uh, due to COVID or are suffering because of their own um, COVID diagnosis at one point in the last year who have turned their their sadness, their anger, their frustration, um, and their losses into action and are really getting involved, uh, submitting op eds, talking to talking to reporters, talking to legislators, advocating for funding. Um, and it's another example to your earlier point of how people sort of take issues and turn them into action. And it can be, number one, I would imagine, somewhat cathartic for them to feel like that they're doing something. But, you know, we know this in, in our work too, is that There's no one better to tell a story than people who have lived experience. And these people that have had lived experience have said, we have something to say. We have seen the very worst of what this disease can do, or sorry, this virus can do to people. And we want to see change. I I think it's incredible. Um, It's also uh, certainly a nod to the ease uh, that the pandemic has led to people being involved. Things are happening on Zoom. Things are happening online. You're, you know, People don't have to go to a state house. They don't have to testify in person in a hearing in front of a lot of people, which can be incredibly intimidating and nerve wracking. Um, but they can sit on a Zoom from the comfort of their own home and tell their story in a way that perhaps on a more public in-person stage, they never would have. And you know, the idea that more and more people are getting involved in, in civic discourse is Always a good thing as far as I'm concerned.
1: Yeah. You know, I use 9-11 as an example. There's actually better examples. Mothers Against Drunk Driving, founded by a single woman whose daughter was killed by a drunk driver. Uh, Moms Demand Action and March for Our Lives, both um, uh, dedicated uh, to promoting uh, stricter gun laws uh, and and both uh, including members whose whose, uh, whose, uh, family lives have been impacted by gun violence. So... Good examples there of this dynamic, COVID Survivors for Change, one of the groups we're talking about here. Um, uh, many members already, they have uh, successfully advocated uh, for the coronavirus relief package. They did virtual meetings, as you were talking about, with, I think, 16 senators, Democrats and Republicans. So they've really quickly moved into action uh, and 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 probably will evolve into into some form of that organization that will exist for many years to come.
0: Absolutely. And what's interesting, too, is I um, was part of the first Zoom hearing that the Massachusetts State House did back in April. I think I've talked about this before. Um, and it was on what increasing a grant for welfare recipients. And the people that were able to be involved, because it wasn't at the State House, all they had to do was, you know, have Wi-Fi, which can be a luxury. But um, from the comfort of their own home. They, their kids were running around in the background, um, but they were able to get involved in new ways because they didn't have to go get to Boston. They didn't have to park. They didn't have to go and be live in front of reporters and cameras and a room full of people. Uh, it also made the experience that much more rich. Um, there was something really different and special about uh, someone who is in a, a, a position of power listening to people asking them for, for help and uh, advocating for for funding and for support from their own living room. Uh, the personal connection was was palpable in a way that was, I I enjoyed it far more and thought it was more powerful than often a hearing room uh, at the Statehouse. So I think that we probably won't see a lot of these things go away. But the idea that it has opened up Doors for people to feel like they have more comfort of getting involved.
1: Really Indeed. All right. So of the of the many outcomes of the COVID-19 pandemic, a new category of advocate and activist uh, is born. Good, uh, good topic, Cayenne. Thanks. All right. Finally, Cayenne. People are starting to travel again. They're returning to the skies. They're firing up their vehicles and getting ready for vacations and uh, and to and to and to just burst out and and go places with all this pent up demand, I think that's part of why we're seeing uh, this uh, sort of alarming increase in fuel prices. But um, right now, the TSA says they have screened more than 1.34 million people just on one day. uh, Last Sunday, 86,000 more than the same day a year ago, sort of just a one-day, year-over-year comparison that shows that... um, this pent-up demand to get to get out of the house and get moving is, is, uh, is, is being unleashed.
0: So oh, it's interesting. I was reminded uh, by, you know, like a Facebook, Instagram memory or something that yesterday I flew uh, a year ago on March 17th, St. Patrick's Day. I flew from Massachusetts to California with my son uh, when the world shut down because my husband had been working in California, long story. Um, there was twenty people on our flight. It was yep. creepy. It was unnerving. It was also very smooth and easy, which was lovely. Um, you know, no one was really masked at the time. That wasn't we were more concerned about what we were touching back then. Yeah. Um, but I have flown for various um needs throughout the last year and to see the evolution of how many people are on planes and an in airport. Uh, As the months went by and people got more and more comfortable, it has been very interesting. Um, And certainly not surprised that as people are getting vaccinated, they're feeling, you know, I can go see family that I haven't seen in a year. Um, And that comfort is there, which is, of course, good for the airline industry. Um, It does worry me a little bit about what's going to happen to prices and tickets because they were really cheap for a while, which was also really nice. Um, yeah, that's yeah, gonna all of a sudden. People feel free to move about the country.
1: It's going to change because demand is going to go up, so prices will go up. It's going to change because p- people ha- people have the you know, as much as there has been a, a, a you know economic uh, uh, devastation, th- there's a, there's there's a lot of people who've been able to just sock away money and 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 continue to earn their income and not have a lot of additional expenses. So there's going to be a big uh economic um uh push here and certainly travel is going to be at the top you know it's funny i have not i have not really had been had any common carrier travel during the pandemic airline or bus or train and there was a period where i honestly could not envision it i, I couldn't see a future or i you know just just because of the moment we were in and that has passed and not just because of the vaccine uh, uh, you know I, I think that, you know, I'm not vaccinated yet, hopefully soon, but even even a month ago or whatever, I, I would have, you know, if I needed to get on a plane, I, I would have done so. And, and there was a period where I couldn't even think of I couldn't even imagine being on a plane during the, you know, the, the, the depths of despair we uh, experienced about, you know, last April and May. And um, yeah. so uh, and, and I I, th- I think I think we have a long way to go before ridership on the uh, on on public transportation returns to anywhere near the levels it was at um so there's a long way to go they're
0: gonna stay in their cars if they if they can and i think that i was having a conversation with someone recently who said his you know he's like it used to be that my rule was if it's more than two hours i'm flying and he's like now i'm kind of like if it's under like eight i'm driving
1: yeah um, no,
0: and I think that we'll, we'll probably see that for a while. Um, I will say I, my flying over the last year was of necessity basically every time and not super excited about having to do it particularly early on. I did, as time went on, got more and more comfortable. Um, you know, the airlines are handling it. They're very strict. Um, Everyone's wearing a mask, you know, unless you're eating or drinking. So, of course, you know, then you see the people who just like snack on trail mix for hours on end so they don't (laughs) keep their mask on. Um, And, you know, some airlines have done better with keeping distance in between seats. But I think it's going to be a long time before we're all on a plane together without masks and, um, you know, back to normal. But if people want to vacate and see family and do what they got to do, then.
2: Yeah, the, I mean,
1: look, United Airlines shares were up a lot, and other airlines, um, which shows that um, you know, there's there's more optimism. But the, at some point, the economics still have to be really difficult because those 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 you know the airlines those jumbo jets are designed to to run at full capacity in order to make an, the airline business already kind of a lousy business, where airlines <laughs> are bankrupt, always going bankrupt left and right. Yeah. So. I do think it's hard to imagine being, you know, packed in like sardines on a a full flight. But that's kind of the way it has to happen eventually in order for the airlines to even sustain themselves.
0: Well, and I should add, too, I mean, what happened over the course of the year is they cut flights. So all of a sudden it wasn't 20 people on a plane. Your planes were looking more and more crowded because instead of three flights to that destination in a day, there's one. Um, yeah. and that's going to probably be the model until they feel a need to go back. So masks will be. My guess is we'll be doing masks for a long time because they're not going to be able to enforce distancing. But I don't do not work for uh, an airline, and that is pure speculation.
1: Yeah, no, it's good. It's good as an experienced traveler. I think it's informed speculation. All right, Cayenne, thanks a lot. Great conversation as always. That's going to do it for this edition of Three, Two, One, Go. Our program is recorded. Remotely, probably not forever, but remotely still from various locations around the Commonwealth of Massachusetts and nationwide. Our producer is Catherine O'Brien. I'm your host, Cosmo Macero. Thanks for listening. Goodbye till next time.
0: I'm joined today by my colleague, Andy Paven, and we're excited to be speaking with Allie Donnelly, host of The Hingham Cast, a local podcast that, while based in Hingham, uh, is exploring topics and issues relevant to all of us. I would be remiss if I didn't also mention that she is a former investigative reporter for NBC Boston and NECN, the recipient of multiple Edward R. Murrow Emmy Associated Press and Gabriel Awards. Allie, welcome, and thank you for joining us. I always love when I have the chance to catch up with you. <laughs> same, same. Thank you guys for having me.
3: I've been enjoying, as a local, um, your podcast here at Hingham. You know, Kiana and I were talking about this as we as we were thinking about um, this podcast, that, you know, we all know the media landscape is always changing. Mm. Um The expansion of digital platforms is having a huge impact on how we tell, how we share, how we consume news. Um, Honestly, how we, in our job, uh, have had to adjust from just traditional media to traditional and social and digital and you name it. Um, But, I mean, you were one of the best in Boston as a TV reporter for, um, if I say a long time, does that sound like it's... Uh, a 20 plus sure. years I'll
4: take it uh, you know it's, plus it's the old broads it's fine
3: hey 20 20 years ago some of us were already 40 so <laughs> I, I you know, I'm right here um but you I mean you experienced this firsthand and 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 the news network that you were on is well known mm-hmm. for being substantive and serious mm-hmm. um and really wonder like a, what are your thoughts about this brave new world we're in? Um, for you, it's very personal, and I appreciate that. We appreciate that um, because this had to be a big change of life mm. going from NECN to figuring out your own platform here.
4: Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, I was laid off last summer, um, and, you know, any way you slice it, whether you're told it's because you're expensive and they have to, you know trim specialty units or whatever it is it it doesn't matter it's incredibly painful um you know i I have always said that I grew up at n e c n and then aged <laughs> at MEC, but um you know it is it's a beautiful place and it's i, I loved every minute of it, of it my job was a gift um i'm sad i'm I'm definitely sad for the loss of that segment of my career. Um, and I miss the people. I miss my colleagues so much. Um, and for a time, I really missed telling stories. So yes, huge shift for me. Um, I don't necessarily miss being on TV per se. Um, meaning I don't miss, you know, putting on spanks and uh, gobs of (laughs) hairspray and all those (laughs) other things and nude pumps. Oh my God, it was so cathartic when I got to throw my nude pumps away. Um, But, you know, I really, I I definitely missed telling stories and and connecting with people. So, um, and it's a, you know, it is an opportunity to reshape what I want my life to be and what I want my career to be. So I'm taking the time to do that.
0: Well, and as part of that, you became a podcaster. Um, And I have to say that when you launched your podcast, I remember one of the first things I thought was, that's just so perfect for her. (laughs) Um, Again, going back to everything that you just said, of loving to tell stories, talking to people, I do think you've always liked um, the story that's a little bit underneath the surface. Mm -hmm. uh, That you know, as we were talking earlier, isn't always as easy to tell on TV. I think partially because of the changing landscape of, you know, sound bites and not a lot of airtime and all of those things. So how did your transition to life as a podcaster really come about? And I think I, we, correct me if I'm wrong, that where we were all at in terms of living amongst a pandemic, probably really contributed to that making a lot of sense right now.
4: Yeah. Yeah, it really did. I mean, You know, in terms of, and Andy, I didn't really fully answer your question, but the media landscape, I mean, I think, yeah, it's it's difficult because innovation is critical to the survival of local news. It's, you know, meeting people where they're at. It's innovating in who's telling the stories, what stories they're telling, how they're telling them, how they're reaching people, how they're characterizing people. Um, It's all you know, critical work. And it's coming at a really tough time for local news because, you know, left and right, it's getting gutted. And especially kind of specialty reporting um, is getting gutted. And and that's difficult. So, you know, I think partnerships are really important um, in local news and the future of local news. I think thinking outside the box, which we always say, but, you know, it has to to get done. So, um, and I think podcasting is a Fabulous medium um why I got into podcasting i have always wanted to try it. I mean, I think um I'm definitely a chatty Cathy, so there's <laughs> there's that, but um you know, and I've been really blessed in my career to be able to have extra time, you know, so if you look at a traditional news package news story on air on t v um it might be a minute and ten seconds, might be a minute and twenty seconds, thirty seconds um and the stories we got to tell were anywhere between three and seven minutes on a, on a really good day, on a very generous day. Um, But, you know, as we were growing those, even that time was shrinking. So it's tough to, to get really deep in an issue in two minutes. And that's really difficult because you're also adding in, you know, what you're going to say, what your guest is going to say, what an expert might say, and a lot's lost. Doesn't mean it can't be done. There's just so much beautiful work on TV, but um you know but i want i did you know after i got laid off i really had to consider what do i want to do and i had some time i you know, and so i really have weighed like how do i want to live and how do i want to work and how do i want those two things to intersect and um two things are are really very important to me um telling stories is critically important to me and community beyond my family of course but um and those two things like come together beautifully with podcasting. And it was also a really convenient medium, like you said, Cayenne, um, during the pandemic because everybody was shut in and it's something you can do from your computer. You can interview people, you can, you know, get natural sound where they're where they're at, and you can weave these stories together. So so one, it was definitely kind of an easy medium for me, um, particularly coming from a TV background. I already know audio and those kinds of things um but also in a pandemic everybody's pushed to look inward right so you know you're you're worried about your own health and you're worried about the public health issues in your community you're worried about your schools your restaurants you know your doctors and nurses you know all of those things everything becomes hyper local um and so that's that was a big driver in okay how do i celebrate community How do I connect with people when we're all shut in? And how could I possibly bring people together under under a tent? And so the podcast was just a beautiful way to do that.
0: And you talk a lot on your podcast uh, and on social media about life at home as a working parent this past year. Uh, (laughs) You and I have shared some texts and tweets about it (laughs) early on. I remember um, a particular rough day, I think I tweeted, and I was like, oh, gosh, I survived. And you were like, you've got this. Don't worry. <laughs> and you were like, call me or text me if you ever need me. And I was like, oh, she's so kind. Um, but it's been a year now. So what are your some of your biggest takeaways after a year, not only of working and parenting and pandemic, but also... I think we have even seen the media going back to the original question. I think we've seen a uh, more change in the last year about how we're all interacting mm-hmm. with social media and the media in general as consumers of news.
4: Yeah, definitely. It's been interesting. Um I would say so so first question is is how has it just been as a working mom? Yeah.
0: Well, I'd I mean, like to correct one been term.
4: Three months, so, oh, you know. there we go. Yeah, I mean, women are getting—you know—there's no question. Women are getting crushed. Um, I want to correct one term when we say working. I'm really just more charity, volunteering, podcasting. <laughs> I haven't sold it's the podcast worked. yet, but it, it's absolute work. Um, You know, I think it's—it's it, been—it's been hard. It's been awesome. It's been—you know—frustrating, challenging. I think. I think that um we're all feeling that on some levels right i mean you're trying to you're trying to be a good employee when i was an employee um and you're trying to get your work done but you're also balancing that with you know 55,000 interruptions from your kids and you know as awesome a dad as my husband is uh, you know i'm mom and i'm always going to be the first one or the main one they go to so that's really hard but you know then you also look at what have we gotten out of this? And I think for so many people, and I think this is going to be a challenge going forward is people are thinking to themselves, well, I like seeing my family the way I do, or maybe not, you know, my husband's just (laughs) thanking the Lord that he has a remote office, but, um, and he gets to go to it every day, but um, you know, I think people are thinking about their, you know, do I want this 90 minute commute? Do I want to be in the car for, you know, two and a half hours every day or, you know, Yeah. Like, you know, being away from it. Do I want to get home? Maybe not in time for dinner, but okay. I get to put my kids to bed. I think there's a lot of like, well, wait a minute. Do we have to do that? And I think, you know, I mean, I, you know, I think there's an issue that, that employers will have to reckon with of remote work and not every job or every day could be remote for many companies, but I think there will have to be a reckoning of work-life balance that people have had a taste of. I really, I, I like putting my kid on the bus, you know, and it helps strengthen them and, you know, all those other things, you know, all that said in the work realm is, is going to be a, a tough reckoning and a tough juggling for people. And I think, uh, you know, I bet you, we'd see some fair amount of career moves. Um, you know, I have a friend whose company has, gotten rid of their office completely and they don't have plans to, to get it back. Um, Mm -hmm. And then there are other people that say, you know, you have to, we have to have these people in here. This is crazy. Um, So I think that'll be interesting. Um, I think in terms of, you know, other silver linings, even though I hate that word or phrase, um, I think is, is connecting, right? So I think that why I love this podcast so much or the Hingham cast so much is that it's, It's a really, really intimate way to talk to people, and it's a really intimate way to get a handle on what's happening in your your community, and explore those issues in a way where you're talking to your neighbors. Um, And yes, I I mean I'm covering issues that are applicable in so many communities, Um, and I and that's awesome. And you know there might be some exciting news coming from the Hingham cast people pretty soon, but um, (laughs) you know I think that. It, it it's a really cool way to explore things that maybe you wouldn't have talked about or you wouldn't have felt so free to talk about. I mean, I am one of those people that, you know, I'll go into our local grocery store, I'll go into the food center, and I'm still standing over the asparagus like three hours later talking to somebody who has come up and said, you know what you should be doing a story on? And that was in my TV days, um, probably more readily because at that point I was, you know, a face people knew um, with the masks and the very little makeup I'm wearing these days. (laughs) It's a different issue. But, you know, I've had people come to me with some really serious topics to talk about. Um, You know, I've had some really hard, heart-to-heart conversations with people who say, you know, my child's self-injuring, and my my child's throwing up, and my child just can't take this. And, you know, and of course i would have known having kids of my own that that child mental health is a really serious issue um that's going to play out for months and probably years to come but if i can talk about it here and profile someone and you know get an expert in it's not just kind of these anonymous families on the news that you see these are these are people that you live and work with and it just does and i keep saying intimate intimate but it does create this intimate connection and this kind of easy hey we we can talk about this and and it's okay like it's you're not suffering alone and you know you don't have to hide this and we can talk about it we can talk about equity issues and we can talk about you know women just absolutely being hammered in this pandemic we can talk about how much you're drinking you know we can talk about your sex life though we haven't and I'm totally open if anybody wants to be a guest um but you know like there's lots of stuff we can talk about in a very cool and together format i think well, i went off on a huge
3: tangent so sorry no 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 but it's it's interesting because i'm willing to bet that it's easier to get people to to open up and talk on a podcast mm-hmm. without their distraction of the camera 100 percent, 100 percent. because i mean i mean like every good reporter you have to be a good storyteller mm-hmm guess that's what drives news right I mean you can have, you can have the breaking story you can have it before anybody else but still for it to be a good story there has to be narrative mm-hmm. um, and it has to, and it has to have some universal truth for people um, and i I really do I think on the you know what what I hear in your podcast is real conversation real talking not prepared you know as somebody who's been doing this whatever this is um <laughs> right? Helping people deal with media and news and, and issues or conflicts. Um, there's so much practice that goes into the interview for television mm. that it's really hard to get people to also be natural at the same time.
4: Yeah. I mean, it, it's 100%. I think the sometimes the biggest challenge of telling a good story is getting people to put aside their concerns over what they look like, what their house looks Mm -hmm. like, um, what their kids might do, you know, and I would always be, I'm self-deprecating as it is, but, um, I would always, oh gosh, you should see my kitchen. Good Lord. No, don't even worry about it. I mean, there's a lot, it's interesting how often people are worried about how dirty their house is Mm as a barrier to, to sharing with you. So audio has been amazing. You know, there's a, um, really terrific person in town who runs a production company. And, um, he called me the other day and he's like, you know what, why don't I shoot your podcast? And I'm like, oh my God, I just can't (laughs) think of anything worse. Like, you know, like he's, it's so nice and I, you know, who knows, but it just, the, I think, I mean, I'm, I'm totally invested in visual mediums. I think TV is so valuable when it's done well, um, visually and with audio. Um, and I should also say, I am so embarrassed that I'm I'm remiss that I haven't said it sooner. Um, I have a fabulous partner in Kristen Keefe and she was my, um, editor at NBC and just a terrifically talented woman, um, who's also, you know, single mom facing very similar issues. So it's like, you know, we're an all girl band. Um, (laughs) and it's, uh, it does help with, with, um, connecting issues, but, um but yes the visual versus audio i think they both have a wonderful place but um podcasting is just such an easier format to get people to talk to you i agree andy yeah mm-hmm. i do i
3: do want to go back to one thing quick yeah. and I, I don't know how much time we have left here but go back to the hyper local piece mm-hmm. because i think it's really interesting here in Hingham that you we have you and the hangham cast mm-hmm. um and we have a local website that started up, what, about a year ago, mm-hmm. a year and a half? Ago, uh, maybe? I, a so
4: little so longer, bad. I think, yeah, two years. Just longer. I'm so yeah. bad
3: with when things happen. I happened. know, I
4: know. Um,
3: but it's uh, called the Hingham Anchor, and it's it's available online. Just look up Hinghamanchor.com. But it's a local news site. Mm-hmm. It's community. It's news. And, you know, I, I, the worst part of the financial pressures on the news industry over the past 20 years has been the the cuts to local news yeah. where there's, there's, I mean, you know, we have a community newspaper called the Hingham Journal. It's not in Hingham anymore.
0: Yeah.
3: It's longtime reporter is, is now, thankfully for those of us who live here is now writing for the mm-hmm, anchor. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I, I just, I really do wonder whether, you know, he said with his fingers crossed, whether this kind of hyper local news and, and community organi- uh, organization, I don't know what to call it, can spring up in places other than Hingham um, because it's important to share good news and it's important to keep an eye on things.
4: Yeah. It's interesting. Um, I think that the anchor um, is, is like a gift to our community, right? It's And, and the well, engagement level is, is intense. I mean, it's really high and, and as it has been um, for the podcast, because you know, you can see in real time, how people are engaging you know whether it's how long they're listening or um for the anchor you know h- how they're sharing or how they're sharing the podcast like both both kind of we go hand in hand and actually that um anchor and I are media partners so um it's a it's a nice relationship there too um but I think everything comes down to with hyper local is the economics of it um so for the podcast it's just me and you know just me and Kristen but it's not I don't have the the platform of a big NBC that said I think it's also a nod to hyperlocal because with zero kind of corporate backing the guerrilla marketing of us has been so it's like our listening, our downloads are are really pretty remarkable for you know 10 weeks in with no you know really no prompting any place else or no backing from a from a corporate backer so I think that the, the craving for that kind of backyard connection is really there and necessary and, and important in terms of, you know, I've been doing a lot of issue pieces, but you know, in accountability for your local governments and spending and, um, you know, elections and, you know, all of that, that's not going to get covered on your local news and on your local TV news, certainly. Um, and you don't want that to get so watered down that nobody right. knows, you know, w- what it is. Um, you know, you talk about like Carol Britton Myers coming from um, the the weekly or the, um, you know, print paper to the anchor and being a digital and she's so well connected and she's, digging into school board meetings and she's, you know, figuring out what the finances are for this, this, and this. And, and that's critically important. Um, I think it all comes down to how can you monetize it to be a model so that other communities can do it and make it worth it. And um, Mm -hmm. yeah, it's a hard question. It's a hard question for, for every hyper local organization. And, you know, so totally necessary. How do you pay for it?
3: Uh, absolutely and and i and I do I think really important for the community and and in a way that other online you know take Facebook as an example mm-hmm. without any curation mm-hmm. you know it you see it everywhere it, the, the, the conversation devolves um, yeah. in a way that you know in a way that doesn't happen when you have somebody guiding the conversation somebody guiding the the, the investigation, if, it, if it's an investigation, whatever it is. Um, I don't know. I think we're lucky to have both you and the anchor here. Oh, thank you. In this small town, for real.
4: Thank you. It's uh, I, re- I feel really lucky. It's, um, I just need now like a Daddy Warbucks to come in. And- <laughs> or Mommy. <laughs> <laughs> Hello.
3: Equal opportunity. Well,
4: before uh, we
0: wrap up, I will ask you the question. Is there anything else you would like to touch upon or say or perhaps one more time before we end our interview here?
4: I'd like to share my deepest, darkest secrets now at this moment. Thank you so much <laughs> for asking. Um, no, I, I, am good. I think, um, I, you know, I'm grateful. I'm grateful for the Hingham community. I'm grateful for my, um, past colleagues for, uh, helping to guide me and support me. And, uh, I'm grateful to my producing partner, Kristen Keefe, and. Uh, I'm grateful to you guys. This is a this is a terrific opportunity. And I just, um, you know, I I want to engage and I want to be part of a, a great, terrific journalism and local community. And I think we can get there.
0: So um, it is The Hingham Cast. And before we go,
4: just quickly tell people where they can find it. Sure. Um, you can log on to our website, which is thehinghamcast.com. And you can please, please, please sign up for our once weekly email, reminding you when episodes drop, um, but also, you could just um, subscribe and download to the Hingham Cast anywhere you listen to podcasts. We're everywhere. Allie Donnelly, thank You're you. Huge so much. in Czechoslovakia, just so you know. <laughs> <laughs> Obviously, I wouldn't great.
0: <laughs> well, thank you so much again for uh, for joining us today. It was great to, great to catch up with you. Thanks for having me,
4: guys. I really loved it.
3: Absolutely, thank you.
5: Hi, Kayanne.
0: Hi, Tom. Welcome to Two Minutes
5: with Tom. Oh, you preempted me. You preempted <laughs> me. Okay. It's actually Two Minutes with Kayanne and Tom. It's, uh, it's, it's nice to be with you at the end of the week one more time. One more hey, time. Hey, a lot going on in vaccines and vaccinations. In this morning's paper, the Baker administration, the governor's the governor's office announced that over 1 million people have received their vaccination in the state of Massachusetts. So that that decries, I think, a little bit about, about um, vaccinations being delivered, the distribution of vaccines of a couple of weeks ago where, where, frankly, Governor Vega was taking a real hit. And I don't know whether he's recovered from that at all, but they tell me, according to the polls, the most popular governor in America lost 26 percentage points on favorability uh, in in a a two-and-a-half-week period of time. That's a a devastating political blow to a popular man who had done until that time a pretty good job. Um, And now the question is, is he back on track? What do you think?
0: I mean, look, this is is tough stuff. No one's ever done this before. Um, I have found, not just in Massachusetts, but across the board, You know, in California, there's a push to recall Governor Newsom for his alleged bad handling of it. I think a little bit of slack needs to be cut to a lot of people. Mm -hmm. Um, No one knows how to do this. No one's ever had to do this before. And there was a bit of trial and error. and Massachusetts seems to be in a good place now after a couple of weeks of some, you know, some hiccups with the vaccines. He announced that what it was April nineteenth in Massachusetts, everyone yeah. um, all adults will be able to make an appointment and have access. That's you know, that's still pretty incredible.
5: It's pretty um, incredible and, and it, it begins what we call the herd you know, the herd remedy. Um where if you have enough people receiving the vaccine, an opportunity happens so that it, it kind of self-corrects and it goes away. Um, but but there are real bumps in the road here. People with underlying conditions who need the vaccine have not received it in some cases. In some cases, people who have underlying conditions are on front lines, working in hospital settings, working in schools, working in, in cafeterias and so forth that should be getting a vaccine don't want it yeah, and want to wait and see what the effect of of the vaccine is on the greater majority of people that are taking it long term. We have correctional offices not only in the state of Massachusetts and but across the country, as well as police officers over 50 percent not wanting it, waiting for the population's effect to take place so they can see firsthand what goes on. That's, that's disheartening. And, um, you know, it, it, um, we want to we get the facts, we want to pay attention to the science, and we want to get vaccinated. That's key because we want to get over this hurdle and back to normalcy as quickly as we can. Now, the president has said, you know, we're going to be back to normal, hopefully by July 4th. Boy, that would be great to go out and put your arms around a cousin or a or a, or a sister or somebody that you haven't seen in quite a while to just to celebrate a holiday, America's independence. Um, it would be great, but we need everybody kind of pulling together back to Massachusetts. Baker has done, I think um you know a, a job in trying to get as many people who are down to age 60 and above as well as people with underlying conditions that can get it they're opening up the schools to faculty to make sure that the faculty in our public schools and and private schools are vaccinated so the kids will feel comfortable in coming back and in fact the teachers will feel comfortable about going back into schools to teach the young folks um
0: yeah, it's working.
5: yeah that's right it's working so We'll see what happens. We'll see what happens. But um, the hit that Baker took, you know, in some cases deserved, in other cases not. He's trying. And as you said, it's been a one heck of a pull of a year for everybody in public life. It's been tough.
0: It has. And, you know, we can't, it, we would be remiss, I think, if we didn't mention the fact, you know, when we talk about groups that haven't been vaccinated or don't want to get vaccinated, who are waiting, um, you know, the former President Trump made. COVID a political issue where it really should have only been a public health issue. And mm-hmm. we continue to see the fallout and the ramifications of what that did nationally and even, you know, even on a state level. Mm-hmm. Um and until we can sort of overcome that as a society at large, it's gonna to continue to be an issue.
5: It's gonna to continue to be an issue. It is. Well, We're off to another week. Let's see what progress gets made over the next week. We'll be back talking about it, I'm sure.
0: Things are looking up. What's coming?
5: That's right. What's coming? A brighter day. Thanks, Diane. Thanks, Tom. All right. Bye-bye. Bye.
0: That's it for this week's episode of OA on Air via Social Distancing. Thanks for tuning in. Talk to you next week.